It is the day in which two billion of us celebrate the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ in worship. In all 195 countries, in dozens of languages, and even more dozens of dialects. It's a day when this is celebrated. Even when bombs hit this morning in the Middle East. It's the day we celebrate the resurrection of our Lord, Jesus, who is the Christ. It is the very foundation of our faith. Our Greek Orthodox friends, about 250 million of them, they celebrate next week, but, you know, calendars and all, you know, whatever. And yet, as magnanimous as this day is, and it is, we all come to this day differently. Some of you have been doing it for a long time. Some of you can't remember the last time you did it. Some of you grew up with this as a true religious high holy holiday. Others, today is a day for dress up. If you're in the South, seersucker. Egg hunts. Candy. Others just appreciate a time to get to be with their family. Time off with friends, loved ones. Now, others of you don't know how to fit into it at all. Because standing in the beauty and brightness of how Christians celebrate Easter, it's like the sun. It does create a shadow of the pain and the loss, the memories that we wish weren't there. So this morning, I want to start with a story because it's fulfilling a vow I made 30 years ago on Easter. I told this story last year. I've told this story for 11 years here. I will tell it next year, because it's a vow I made, so I want you to indulge me. 30 years ago, my sister and I walked into a church with my six-month-old nephew in her arms. She was a heroic single mom, as all single moms are working a ton of hours managing a structure. For those of you who don't know, that's a retail store. She was rearing her son and venturing back into church after 10 years. I was on spring break from college, so I went down to go to see her. Hadn't seen uh, my nephew for six months. She couldn't get away from work, so it was her family member that could join her. We walked into church. We found our seat somewhat timidly in the back. And then a minister of the gospel said, if you're one of those people who only come on Easter and Christmas, it means nothing. You might as well not even be here. And tears and shame fell on us. We knew everyone must be looking at us. We were in a full crowd like this, but felt completely isolated, and I wanted to get up and scream. We sat there and took our lashings that day, and with no clue that I was going to be a pastor, I was going to be a lawyer or psychologist back then, God, if you ever let me speak on Easter Sunday, I will tell everyone the opposite. So hear ye, hear ye, friends, church, family, Strangers, friends, those of you who feel like outcasts, welcome into this place.
In the name of the resurrected, living Lord Jesus Christ, you are welcome here, and we are glad you are here. Visitors, especially those in church for the first time or the first time in years, Easter and Christmas folks, you who might be scared to be judged like with, by people like me, by people like those sitting next to you, of, or to those of you who feel alone and isolated because you've been shamed in the name of Jesus by people like me, you are welcome in this place. Amen. Amen. And for those of you who only experience your spirituality or Christianity in some type of negative reality, a failure that is too big for you to handle, too gross, too abnormal, too whatever, to be in a place like this, you are welcome here. Here is what is true. You are welcome in this place, and you can come in these doors any single time you want to come in these doors. And if it's not till next Easter... Or next Christmas, you are still welcome here and we'll be glad to see you. A hundred percent of the time. I don't care if this is your first worship service ever or if you've never planned to come back. You are welcome here. And you are not alone. I know these people. They are filled with doubts, despair, lack of clarity about what they can believe and not believe, what might be true and what might not be. So you're welcome here. Welcome to the fellowship of the broken who believe in a strong and tender mercy that has come from the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, the one who forgives our sin and frees us to be more like him. You're welcome to this place. Okay, kids, remember when I told you about the video? Here we go. We're going to do Sally Lloyd-Jones' The Jesus Storybook Bible, and this episode is called Wonderful Surprise, or God's Wonderful Surprise. God's Wonderful Surprise. Jesus' friends were sad. They would never see their best friend again. How could this happen? Wasn't Jesus the rescuer, the king God had promised? It wasn't supposed to end like this. Yes, but whoever said anything about the end? Just before sunrise, on the third day, God sent an earthquake and an angel from heaven. When the guards saw the angel, they fell down with fright. The angel rolled the huge stone away, sat on top of it and waited. At the first glimmer of dawn, Mary Magdalene and other women headed to the tomb to wash Jesus' body. The early morning sun slanted through the ancient olive trees. Drops of dew glittering on leaves and grasses, little tears everywhere. The friends walked quietly along the hilly path through the olive groves until they reached the tomb and immediately noticed something odd. It was wide open. They peered through the opening into the dark tomb. But wait, Jesus' body was gone. And something else. A shining man was there with clothes made from lightning. Don't be scared, the angel said. But they couldn't help it. They screamed anyway. The angel asked them, What are you doing here? This is a tomb and tombs are for dead people. The women couldn't speak. 
Jesus isn't dead anymore, he said. He's alive again. And their hearts leapt. And then the angel laughed with such gladness that they felt for a moment as if they had woken from a nightmare. The other women rushed home, but Mary stayed behind. How could it be true? Jesus was definitely dead. How could he be alive? Just then, Mary heard someone else in the garden. Perhaps it's the gardener, she thought. He'll know where Jesus' body is. I don't know where Jesus is, Mary said urgently. I can't find him. But it was all right. Jesus knew where she was, and he had found her. Mary. Only one person said her name like that. She could hear her heart thumping. She turned around. She could just make out a figure. She shaded her eyes to see and thought she was dreaming. But she wasn't dreaming. She was seeing Jesus. Mary fell to the ground. Sudden tears filled her eyes and great sobs shook her whole body. And all she wanted in that moment was to cling to Jesus and never let him go. You'll be able to hold on to me later, Mary, Jesus said gently, and always be close to me. But now go and tell the others that I'm alive. Mary ran and ran all the way to the city. She had never run so fast or so far in all her life. She felt she could have run forever. She didn't even feel like her feet touched the ground. The sun seemed to be dancing and gleaming and bounding across the sky, racing with her and shining brighter than she could ever remember in the clear, fresh air. And it seemed to her that morning, as she ran, almost as if the whole world had been made anew, almost as if the whole world was singing for joy. The trees, tiny sounds in the grass, the birds, her heart. Was God really making everything sad come untrue? Was he making even death come untrue? She couldn't wait to tell Jesus' friends. They won't believe it, she laughed. She was right. Can you imagine what a scene that would have been like? The others had left, and Mary weeping, a frantic scene of weeping. The Greek word there is wailing. Where you can't sit still. You're looking around, kind of wild and crying. She bends down to look in the tomb. Just grave clothes. Stacked. And she weeps harder. Beside the grave clothes to stand where Jesus had head and feet were once were, once were, and they meet her in kindness and say, why are you crying? They give her this hint towards what would be this wonderful surprise, 
and she doesn't quite understand. She responds, the only way you would think is like, they've taken my Lord. I don't know where they put him. It must have been like a mix of outrage and despair and exhaustion, and she turns away. And then there's this other person there. She couldn't quite make out who he was, and I, 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 I've been thinking about this for years now. Was it, was it the grief? Um, was it, was it the, um, the, 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 like, discombobulating experience of grief? Was it, did he hit himself in some way? I don't know. But she's wailing, bawling in anguish, and has this vague figure before her. And she rightly just assumed it was the gardener. But the gardener who wasn't the gardener asked her the same question, why are you crying? Who are you looking for? And that's when it happened. (laughs) At first her eyes couldn't see, her heart couldn't know, her arms couldn't grasp, her ears couldn't hear, until he spoke her name. And if I could do that British accent, I would do Mary. But that was it. That's when she got it. That's when it was done. Mary. And then it comes all flooding in. Epiphany or clarity or revelation or memory or belief, deep trust. And she says in her own dialect, Rabboni, teacher. Somehow the sound of her name coming from the breath of his lips, of his resurrected lips, adjust the entire cosmos, not just for her, but for the world. That's when her ears see, or her ears hear, her eyes see. That's when she recognizes her teacher, her friend, her rescuer, her savior, and her God. And that's when it's recorded that we can recognize our teacher, our Lord, our friend, our rescuer, our savior, and our God. I always wonder about this part. What, how long between verse 16 and 17, between Rabboni, teacher, and his response, don't cling to me? I have a little issue with that video a little bit because my guess is that she's already clinging to him when, when he says, you can't cling to me anymore. But my assumption is it's a long time. The clinging is already going on. Mary doesn't speak any more in this interaction until she goes and speaks to the disciples. And so this part's written without dialogue, which is genius, by the way. It's for us to take a slow read on. So John leaves it for our eyes and imaginations that when she's collapsed upon him, clings to him, cleaves to him, fastens herself to him. And he lets it sit for a while. You've got to understand, she has seen his body hang like meat on a hook. She saw him say his last words. Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. She saw him say, it is finished, as we sung before. She saw him gasp his suffocating last breath, which is how one dies in crucifixion. She saw 
as the soldiers pulled his body down and, and tended to it, her own. Jesus, Mary didn't miss Jesus. She lost him. And now she sees him again. And yet, in that pause, when you get to 17, at some point Jesus said to Mary, I am not just here to bring you great comfort, but I'm here to send you on a commission into the world. A friend of mine, Du Quan, maybe the greatest name ever known to human history, the resurrection of Jesus is nothing less than the beginning of a new beginning. Jesus wasn't brought back from the dead Thursdays and Fridays, thorns and thistles. Rather, he was brought forward into the week's eight-day, a Sunday, on a completely new calendar, into a perfected state of sinless, tearless, immortal, glorified humanity. So Jesus' res resurrection inaugurates both utter intimacy name-calling intimacy and the magnificence and glory of entering into a state, a world, a kingdom that is brand new. His reign of love and mercy, His kingdom of grace, His promise of glory, justice, and power. He says, I will ascend to return to my and your Father. And Jesus will ascend and sit at his right hand and rule the universe until that great day. And in ways we don't understand, and it's too complicated, and it's difficult, but we know this, that is born of mercy. And then she will begin and walk and run to proclaim this reality to his closest friends. So in John... Mary Magdalene becomes the voice of the resurrection to the world. This marginalized woman becomes the herald of the gospel to a group of huddled dudes not sure what to do. Scripture just simply says, Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. Mic drop. So here's the reality of what we're talking about today. Jesus is our greatest comfort. He calls us by name. The conquering king over death and sin is the merciful God. You see it, Mary, discombobulated and collapsing in grief. Comfort, comfort of her name being called, consoling the pain of life in this world. He is the deepest of all comforts in life and death. A comfort that gets you up in the morning and raises you up on the last day. Friends, the one who is risen from the dead calls you by name. The God who made you, the God who defeated death, knows you and beckons you by name. So when you are weighed down, bruised and battered by the fall, troubled by the sin in your life, the sins against you, the sins of this world, when you are wandering in a stupor of grief, he calls you by name. And when he calls you, he has the power of the resurrection in his breath. Stone hearts made alive at his word. Stopped ears can hear. Blind eyes 
see. And please hear me, the direction of salvation is not us going to Him. It is Him coming to us. His comfort, His calling, making us new, forgiving our sin, restoring us to His and now our Father. Friends, you are known in all the glory of your dignity and all the worst of your depravity. So we run to Him for the first, fifth, fiftieth, five millionth time we run to Him. And we find comfort and we find a compelling call to the world. It compels us not away from Him or not away from the world, but into the world to love and appreciate and labor for the good and the true and the beautiful that He has committed to bring. For Mary is proclamation and testifying And this, my friends, is how we live as resurrection people. We endure the true hardships of our lives, and we fight against the fall. We resist death and evil in all its forms, letting the resurrection and proclaiming the resurrection comfort of Jesus that compels us to the reality of His completed work and His beautiful reign. So we become heralds and healers in the world. This is the story of the resurrection, the resurrection. God did in one man in the middle of history that he will do one day with anyone who would come to him at the end of history. We will be risen from the dead and live with him for eternity in a new heaven and a new earth filled with his justice and glory. Sin, disease, Pain, oppression, and death, according to Resurrection Sunday, have an expiration date. And now we live in light of that cosmic majesty and reality. And so all I say to you is fear not, press on, rejoice, He is risen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we pray that we would grasp the beauty of your work, that we would live with resurrection hope amid all of the death and destruction in our world, that we trust you. We pray in your name. Amen.